0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. This is perfect weather. I love this time of year. This is my favorite time of year, and it's awesome being out here. Um if you uh if you have your bibles turn with me to the book of hebrews we're going to start a sermon series today on hebrews but i do as as you're turning i just want to thank chris especially but all the guys who helped set up i know it's kind of a hassle setting up the equipment every week but um it, I, I really do just love it i hope we can continue doing at least a few services outside uh every year because it's just it's just glorious the sun is right in my face, but Lord, I'm not going to complain because it is a gorgeous day. I need my Aggie hat, or I'd even put—I'd even put on a Georgia hat today. All right, Book of Hebrews. So we're going to begin a sermon series going through the Book of Hebrews. This is going to take quite some time. It's a pretty long book, uh, so I'm anticipating that the series will go well into next year, probably into summer, maybe even fall next year, just with my with my preaching schedule. Um, But what I want to do today is give you an overview of the book of Hebrews. In my view, Hebrews is one of the most important books in the New Testament. Uh, From Hebrews, we learn so much about Jesus that we actually don't learn in any other place. We learn more about his sacrifice on the cross. We learn about Jesus' role as our faithful high priest. So we learn about Jesus' work. We also learn about who he is. Theologians call this a study of the person of Christ. So we learn from Hebrews a lot about the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But from my perspective, in my view, it looks like Hebrews really is a neglected book. I just have not heard a lot of sermons going through Hebrews. So, uh, and I was thinking about why that is. I think Hebrews is probably neglected quite a bit because of its reliance on the Old Testament. And you'll see this very quickly if you read through Hebrews, it is a lot of passages on the Old Testament. And a lot of us Christians are not that familiar with the Old Testament, so I think they can be kind of a neglected book of the scripture. So next week we'll actually start with with chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll do a verse-by-verse study through the book. Um, this morning, what I'd like to do is just provide an overview of the entire book of Hebrews. And what I'm going to try to do is reiterate some of these points as we go through the sermon series. So I want us to start thinking about the question. We look at the book of Hebrews. The first question I want us to think about is who wrote Hebrews and when, anytime you're studying a book of the Bible, I find it really helpful to figure out who wrote the book and when it was written. Those are good questions to ask. It turns out, with the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. It it really is a mystery to us. Um, Unlike most of the books in the New Testament, most of the books in the New Testament, it's clear who the author is. But in Hebrews, there's no clear indication about who wrote it. Many have claimed that Paul was the author, and, and many Christians have believed that Paul wrote Hebrews. Maybe he did. In my own view, I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm going to give you some reasons why. I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews for a number of reasons. First, in all the other books, in all the other letters that Paul wrote, he begins by citing his name as the author and, his, and the fact that he is an apostle. So if you're, look, if you're in Hebrews, if you'll hold your place in Hebrews, and you turn left a little bit, just a few pages, and you go to the book of Philemon. Look at, look at Philemon. Philemon is a very short little letter. Look at the first verse of the, the, of the letter to, from, to Philemon. Look what, look what it says. The very first word, at least in the ESV, says Paul. It says Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. If you keep going to the left a little bit, if you go to Titus, look at Titus, go to the left a little bit more and you'll see Titus, if you go to Titus 1.1. And this is typical of of Paul's letters. Look again at the first word. It says, Paul. Paul is servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when Paul would write a letter, he would identify himself early on. That's the way they wrote letters back then. They would identify themselves very early on in the letter. But if you go back to Hebrews, look at verse in Hebrews 1 1. Look at the introduction, the very first words to Hebrews 1 1. It says, Long ago. At many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There's no introduction from Paul. There's no indi- in fact, there's no indication in the entire letter that Paul wrote the, the letter to the Hebrews. Also, I'm not a Greek scholar by any stretch of the imagination, but Greek scholars tell us that the grammar in the book of Hebrews is very different from Paul's letters. Hebrews is, I, I just learned this recently... Hebrews is a very sophisticated form of Greek. If you go through the the New Testament books, Luke and Acts, written by Luke, are very high-level grammar of Greek. Hebrews is right up there with them. So those three books of the New Testament are this high level of Greek. Paul's Greek was more of a common Greek. And then you have John and Peter, which are more of a low-level grammar of Greek. OK, so it just doesn't seem like Paul wrote Hebrews. And also, if you just read through Hebrews, to me, it just doesn't sound like Paul's writings. Um, I also don't think Paul wrote Hebrews for another reason. If you're holding if you're holding your place in Hebrews, this is Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. You don't have to look at it. But again, Paul says in Galatians 1.1, 1, 1, he introduces himself as an apostle. But listen to Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Paul says this in Galatians 1.12. He says, for I did not receive it. I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I didn't receive the gospel from any human being. I received it directly from Jesus Christ. Okay. Now look at Hebrews two. Look at Hebrews two, verse three. Hebrews chapter two, verse three, and look what the author of Hebrews says. Hebrews two, verse three. He says, "How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation?" And then this is what he says about the gospel. He says, "It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard." So the author of Hebrews says that the gospel was attested to; it was verified; it was given to us by those who heard, by somebody else. Okay, so he says, "I did not; we didn't; I didn't receive it from the Lord Jesus." He said, "I received it from other men." So I can't imagine Paul ever saying that he received his knowledge of the gospel from other people, which is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Again, Paul stressed that he received the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus. He didn't depend on others for it. And I can't imagine Paul changing his statement, as the author of Hebrews says, and say that he, he received the gospel secondhand. Okay? So that's another reason why I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews. The early church fathers were not in agreement about who wrote Hebrews. Some thought Paul wrote it. Others were not so sure. The, this is interesting. The first citation to Hebrews outside of the New Testament is from the letter of Clement in 95 AD. And it looks like Clement did not know who wrote Hebrews. Clement talks about Paul writing 1 Corinthians, but he doesn't mention an author of, to, of the Hebrews. Origen, who lived from about 185 to 250, said in a famous statement, he said that the theology of Hebrews or the thoughts of Hebrews were Paul's, but the Greek grammar was not Paul's. And then there's another statement from Tertullian, who lived from about 150 A.D. to 220 A.D. He says, Tertullian says that Barnabas wrote Hebrews, and he seems to indicate that everyone knew that. So the bottom line is, we really don't know who wrote Hebrews. That's what I'm trying to tell you. But the the one clue at the very end of Hebrews, though, is Hebrews 13, 23. The author mentions Timothy. He says this, You should know that our brother Timothy has been released. So this indicates that whoever the author was, he was a friend of Timothy, and Timothy was a close friend of Paul. So it looks like the author of Hebrews is within Paul's close circle of friends. Maybe this was Apollos. Maybe it was Barnabas. Again, we just don't know. So the Holy Spirit does not want us to know the author of the book of Hebrews. But that should not not make us doubt the legitimacy of the book. Even if an apostle did not write Hebrews, it's clear that the early church believed that the writer was supported by apostolic authority, by authority from an apostle when he wrote it. So, as I said, the theology is consistent with Paul's theology, and really the book is an amazing book. I'm looking so forward to getting into it as we go through it in these coming weeks. The early church considered Hebrews to be God's word, and we should not doubt that. As far as when it was written, I think it's clear the Hebrews was written before 70 A.D. Why do I say that? Because the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem occurred in 70 A.D. And when the writer to the Hebrews is writing, it's clear that he thinks the sacrificial system is still going on. He thinks the temple sacrifices are going on. And if, he had, if the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed when the author of Hebrews is writing, he would have clearly talked about that. So there's, the, there's no indication that it was after 70 A.D. So I'm, I'm actually convinced that all the New Testament was written before 70 A.D. We can, we can argue about that uh, because there's nothing in the New Testament that ever says the temple or Jerusalem was destroyed, even though Jesus prophesied about that. So I think that the entire New Testament was written before 70 A.D. But anyway, I think Hebrews was probably written in the 60s. And that's important. And I I would say to our non-Christian friends to begin thinking about the dating of the book of Hebrews, if it was written in the 60s, which I think it was, what we see is from this book is that even in 60 AD, which was only three decades after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, even within 30 years, the early church had an established belief that Jesus was God in the flesh and that he rose from the grave. And that's important. That 30 year time period is very important because if you ever study religion or, or mythology, you understand that myths don't happen in that short a time period. They simply do not happen. It takes hundreds of years for big myths and religions to develop. And the, that 30 years is within a generation of people. And there's simply no time for a myth like some, some huge myth to develop. So the reason I'm stressing that is, I've I've talked about this all the time, this is proof for the resurrection of Jesus. This is where I go to my non-Christian friends to begin thinking about the truth of Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's clear that the early church believed that Jesus is God and that he was raised from the dead, okay? So that gives us, anyway, that gives us some idea about the authorship and the date of the book of Hebrews. What about the audience? This is important too. The original audience were Jewish Christians, So they had been raised in Jewish homes, and now they came to faith in Jesus Christ. They're Jewish, and you can tell that because the writer, when he's talking to this audience, he he assumes they know a lot about the Old Testament. So these these hearers were, were Jewish people who came to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Also, these Jewish Christians who were the original recipients of the book were in a community that was hostile to Christianity. They had suffered persecution for their faith in Jesus. And this group, and you can tell as you go through the book, this group of Jewish Christians were growing tired of the ongoing opposition that they were experiencing from their fellow Jews, from the Jewish community. People around them were telling them to go back to the temple. They were mocking them for being Christians. They were telling them to go back to the temple sacrifices. And so there's this trial that they're experiencing. They were suffering because of this. Pastor Daniel last week preached on temptations and trials. Well, it's clear that these Jewish Christians were were experiencing temptations and trials because they were tempted to turn their backs on Jesus. They were being tempted to turn their backs on the church and, and to return to the temple sacrifices, to the Jewish sacrificial system. And you can see in the book, too, they had suffered loss of property for the sake of the gospel. They'd been suffering for the sake of the gospel. Apparently at this time, the most violent forms of persecution had passed. But now think about this for us too. think about in certain places in America. At this time, these Christians were experiencing ongoing contempt in their culture. They were experiencing ongoing contempt in their culture from their Jewish family and friends. They were being ostracized and left out because of their faith in Christ and because of their commitment to the church. And apparently, some Jews who had made a commitment to Jesus had left the church, they had left Christ, and they had gone back to their former Judaism and to the sacrificial system and to the temple. And that's why I think the context here, that's why I think that, that studying Hebrews is so timely for us, because in our day, more and more Christians are experiencing persecution and mocking for their faith in Jesus Christ. Just like these Jewish Christians from the first century, in our day, Christians are being ostracized, mocked, left out, suffering, maybe mild in our culture, but it's still real, suffering because of Jesus. And in our day, just like in the first century, there is a tremendous temptation to leave the church and leave the faith and leave Christ. So that's why I think the book of Hebrews is very timely for us Something else that's important about the book is of this, this book, I'm going to call it a book, I'll call it a letter, but it's really a sermon. It's really more of a sermon. You can get indications of that, hints of that throughout Hebrews, because the author will say things like this, what we are speaking about. He says speaking, or he says we have much more to say about this. He doesn't say we have much more to write about this. He, he frequently talks about speaking and saying. So it sounds like a sermon. Also in, in Hebrew, the very end of Hebrews 13:22 the author calls the book of Hebrews a word of exhortation or a word of encouragement. That same phrase word of exhortation is used in other places in the New Testament to describe a sermon like in Acts 13:15. Okay? Also you when you see you'll see this in the book of Hebrews the author and I think about think about this he will read a passage from the Old Testament He will explain the passage, and then he will apply the passage. That's all a sermon is. It's reading a passage, explaining it, and applying it. And that's what the author of Hebrews does. All right, the last thing, and I'm going to spend the bulk of my sermon on this today. What is the theme of Hebrews? And this is really the most important thing. What is the theme of the book of Hebrews? This is, As I said, this is wonderful and timely for us, and it's this. Real faith is a persevering faith. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that perseveres. Genuine, I'll keep saying it in different ways. Genuine saving faith in Christ is a faith that lasts. Hebrews is a sermon on this fact. You do not have genuine saving faith if you begin following Christ, but then you turn away from Him. That's not genuine saving faith. Real faith in Jesus is a faith that lasts to the very end. So, so that's why the author continues to encourage his readers, or his listeners, to continue on in the faith, to press on. And that's, what, again, what the entire book is about, the necessity of a persevering faith. If we have a faith, and it makes sense, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's controversial, if you have genuine faith, if you have real faith, you're not going to one day turn around and say, I deny Jesus. Most of us would just common sense say, that's not real faith if one day we turn and deny Christ. So a real faith is a persevering faith. That's a saving faith, okay? I want you to see a few verses on this because the author of Hebrews hammers this over and over again about the need to persevere in our faith. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Look at verses 1 to 3. Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, Lest we drift away from it. There it is, a warning. Lest we drift away from what we heard. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Drifting away, neglecting such a great salvation. He says, how will we escape? How will we escape the judgment of God? So a genuine faith is one that doesn't drift away, that doesn't, that isn't neglecting or falling away from Christ. If you go to the next chapter in Hebrews three, look at Hebrews three and we'll start in verse 12. Hebrews 3:12 says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. What's an evil, unbelieving heart?" He explains it says, leading you to fall away from the living God. A falling away, a drifting away is the sign of an unbelieving heart. That's what he's saying. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. How will we know that we've truly come to share in Christ? That we have genuine faith in Jesus Christ? We're in union with him. How do we know? He says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So the author of Hebrews over and over again is saying a genuine faith, a, a genuine trust in Jesus, showing union with him, that is one that lasts to the end. Not falling away from the living God. That's the sign of an unbelieving heart. Okay? Now I know this may bring up a lot of questions, and we're going to wrestle through that. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. But just think, think about this. Again, it makes total sense to me. That true faith is one that continues on. Look at Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, look at verses 11 and 12. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, he says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full, here it is again, the full assurance of hope until when? The end, full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Who are those who inherit the promises, the promises of God, the promises of salvation, the promise of eternal life, the promise of resurrection life to come? Who are the ones who who inherit these promises? Those who have full assurance of hope until the end. So over and over again, the preacher in Hebrews is telling us this, that true saving faith in Jesus is a faith that perseveres to the end. And that's why Hebrews includes this famous, you know, hall of faith. If you've ever read through Hebrews, this hall of faith, when it talks about these heroes of the faith. And they, what was, what was the point of talking about these heroes of the faith? That they persevered to the end. That's the point of it. So that the the book of Hebrews provides this wonderful description of what true saving faith looks like. The book of Hebrews also contains many scary warnings about falling away. A lot of people don't like these, and they're difficult to wrestle with, and we'll wrestle through them as we get to it. But this is Hebrews 6, verses 4 to 6. This is, in my view, one of the most frightening passages in Scripture. It says this, this is Hebrews 6, 4 to 6. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the holy spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of god and the powers of the age to come and there it is and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of god to their own harm and holding him up to contempt in the weeks to come we'll wrestle with what these warnings mean but what it's clear is that the preacher of Hebrews is often given these sober warnings about Christ. So here he says, them fallen away. People who have, have gotten real close. He knows the word salvation. We'll talk about that. He doesn't use the word salvation, but they've gotten real close to, to God. They've, got, they've tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit in some way. Tasted the goodness of the word of God and then fallen away. And he says, what are they doing? They're crucifying once again the Son of God, and they're holding him up to contempt. Holding Jesus up to contempt is a sign that you don't have saving faith. Okay? So again, we'll wrestle with these. But Hebrews, here's the thing, Hebrews does not say, you know, if you turn your back on Jesus, it's no big deal. That's not what the author of Hebrews says. The preacher in Hebrews consistently says, you must hold fast to Jesus. Your faith must persevere until the end. So Hebrews provides these words of exhortation as well as warnings. And he keeps saying, you must hold fast to Jesus. If we don't cling to Jesus to the very end, then our faith isn't real. It's not genuine. Again, true faith is one that holds fast to Christ our entire life. Now, I know this brings up a lot of questions. What what about this person that we knew that used to be so active in the church and gave all these indications of faith and they've fallen away? What about myself? A person may say, when I was younger, I thought I was saved, but I drifted away and I came back. Was I saved back then? They're good questions and we'll try to wrestle with these. But one thing I do want to stress is this. The Bible does not, and we talked about this actually with the Harrisons before this morning. The Bible does not say that you have to know the exact moment when you became a Christian. I did. I had a dramatic conversion experience. I wasn't raised in the church. But for many people who are raised in the church, they don't know the exact moment when they're born again. You know what? The Bible doesn't say you have to know the exact moment. The Bible never says that. If you're thinking, well, I made a decision when I was 8, then I felt different when I was 14, then I kind of drifted away when I was in my 20s, and I came back to the Lord. So I don't know, you may be thinking, I don't know when I became a Christian. And people are concerned about that, about when they truly trusted the Lord. Listen, you don't need to worry about that. It's not important. God never says that I have to know the exact moment I became a Christian. It's not important because here's what counts. Are you trusting Jesus Christ right now? That's what matters. Are you holding fast to Jesus right now? Are you living for him right now? That's what matters. Do you have genuine faith? Are you living that out for Christ now? And if you have here's the good news, if you have genuine faith, you will persevere to the end. You will. You will cling to Jesus, and in the same way he what we sing. He will hold you fast. He will hold you." This is what Jesus says in John 10:27 to28. Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." And he says this, "I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I pray that you'd hear that this morning. Jesus says you belong to him, you hear his voice, no one will snatch you out of his hand. If you have real faith in Christ, your faith will last, okay? But that's the theme of of Hebrews, a real faith is a persevering faith. Another thing that goes right along with persevering faith is this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to be right with God. Jesus Christ is God himself, and we'll see that next week when we look at the very first verses of Hebrews. So from the very beginning, the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is God. And that's an incredible thing, too, to begin to thinking about. These are orthodox, conservative Jewish people in a very short period of time who are saying, this carpenter from Nazareth is God in the flesh. Something happened to make them think about that, and it was the resurrection. Because when someone rises from the dead and they ascend into heaven, you believe what they say. And that's what happened with these Jewish Christians. So the the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is not just a creature, he's not just a person, he is God himself. And the only way to receive salvation is through Jesus. Another way the preacher in Hebrews encourages us to persevere in the faith is not only fixing our eyes on Jesus, but having our focus on eternity, looking to the life to come. And I can tell you that us as believers, we need to do a better job of this, and we need to remind each other to continue looking to the life to come. We're constantly told in Hebrews to fix our eyes on the resurrection life to come. This is one example. If you want to turn to it, it's Hebrews 11. It's a wonderful passage. Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. The author has been giving us a number of examples of faithful believers and he talks about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and others and he gives these heroes and then he said again that their faith lasted until the end he said these and this is Hebrews 11:13 these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and listen to this having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, like this, like an area on earth, if they had been thinking of that land, they would have had an opportunity to return. He says, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. So the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to persevere in faith, and one way we do that is by constantly looking forward to our heavenly home. And as I said, we need to hear this. We need to speak this truth to one another. We need to do this frequently. That we desire a better country, a heavenly one. You remember in verse 4, 13, he says, having acknowledged that there were strangers and exiles on the earth. It's the same for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, we must accept, we must even embrace the fact that we are exiles and strangers on this earth. We don't fit in here. If you don't feel like you don't fit in, then praise the Lord. That's a good sign. We don't fit in in this sinful, broken world. We were made for another place, and it's to be with Christ on this resurrection earth. This sinful, broken world is not our ultimate home. God is going to remake this earth and create a new earth and give us resurrection bodies. But the planet that we're on right now, the culture that we're living in right now, the, the life that we live right now, this is not our ultimate destination. This is not, and this is not where our ultimate hope is found. Our ultimate hope is found in Jesus Christ and in his return and in the resurrection life to come with God on the new earth. That's why I think the book of Hebrews is such a timely book for us, because as Christians in the West, in America, we see the cultures becoming more and more hostile to biblical Christianity, and we need to encourage one another to stand firm in the faith, to hold fast to Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to fix our eyes on the life to come. That's why I'm excited about this series on Hebrews. The early Christians... Especially Jewish Christians were persecuted for their faith. In the same way, we should not be surprised if persecution comes our way. Jesus told us that it would happen. Now, persecution is nothing to be frightened about. We just need to continue exhorting one another to continue in the faith. The author of Hebrews saw people drifting away in his day. As the church back then experienced persecution, we see the same thing today. And that's why we need to study passages of Scripture like Hebrews. Listen, God has been very gracious. He didn't have to give us a book like this. He didn't have to give us warnings about falling away and encouraging us, but He did out of His grace. And we need to listen to the Lord speak to us as He gives us these warnings, exhortations, and encouragements to continue pressing on in the faith, to keep on keeping on, to keep on trusting in Jesus Christ. And this is not a small thing. This is not a tiny thing. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of eternal life and death. If you're not a Christian, I would ask you to think seriously about these things. Occasionally throughout the series, I plan on giving some evidence for the Christian faith. I love that. I love that. They call it apologetics. Uh, If you're not a believer, I'd encourage you to continue coming to the church and listening and thinking about these things. And listen, I, I offer this. I don't get a lot of response, to be honest, and I don't expect a lot of response, but if you have questions about anything, please come talk to me. I, I enjoy talking about this. One of, one of my sons just this week, or last week, was talking. we were having a discussion about existential philosophy and nihilism. I enjoy talking about those philosophies. I'm not afraid of questions. I was a former agnostic. I was a former agnostic. I've thought a lot about different religions and different philosophies. I enjoy talking about these things. I enjoy talking about different philosophies. But I can tell you this, and this is what the author of Hebrews says, the truth is found only in Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll start looking at it next week, but Hebrews teaches us about the supremacy of Christ and teach, Hebrews teaches us that Jesus is God's one and only provision for the salvation of mankind. You have no hope of being right with God except in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is found only in in a loving, trusting relationship with Him. True hope. True hope is found only in Jesus Christ. And as I said, as a former agnostic, I can tell you from personal experience, if you give up the controls of your life, you trust in Jesus. You trust in His death as a substitute on the cross in your place. Take upon himself the wrath that should have come to me, should have come to us. If you trust in him, believe his word and live for him, if you do that, you will find the truth. You'll find the truth and you will find life and joy. Listen, you'll find rest for your soul, rest for your soul, and you'll find the assurance of eternal life with him. And you'll truly know his love. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we will know the Lord Jesus Christ. We will trust him. We will trust his word. We will know that rest for our soul, and we will know his love for us. So if you haven't, I would ask you to give your life to him right now. Turn over the controls of your life and rejoice in the fact that he has good plans for you and he loves you. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. Lord, thank you for the book of Hebrews. Thank you for your word. As I said, you didn't have to provide us with your word. You were under no obligation to reveal yourself to us, and yet you did out of love and grace. And so I pray that we would be people who are more thankful for your word, the fact that you've spoken to us, and as we'll see next week in in your word, Hebrews, that you have ultimately spoken to us, In the past, you did it through prophets, and now you speak to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. And so I pray for all of us. I pray for non-Christians here that they would turn over, turn away from their sin, give up the controls of their life, and turn to you, Lord. And for those of us who are believers, I pray that we would continue seeking your face and really fixing our eyes and thoughts on you, on the life to come, and on ways to bring glory to you while we're here, to love other people. Be concerned about others and point others to Jesus as we encourage one another in the faith. So God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gorgeous day, the sunshine, this blue sky. You're so gracious to us, Lord, even in the weather, and we're so we're so so thankful and we love you. Thank you for this day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.